So last week, hopefully, um, I didn't actually have time to listen, but Nick kicked off our series last week in Ephesians by talking about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Um, he sort of introed the, the book and, and went through those first few verses, and we started looking at this series that we're calling Finding Your Purpose, which is one of the major themes that we find throughout the book of Ephesians, and we'll certainly see that theme tonight as we dig into verses 7 through 14 of chapter 1. So turn with me to Ephesians 1, if you haven't already, and we'll dig in in verse 7. Um, But in our passage tonight, we'll see Paul discuss salvation, um, and not just a, hey, you're saved, you get to go to heaven. Like, this is the the true biblical salvation in in a deep understanding of of the roots of salvation and the consequences that it has in your life um, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we'll see him go through that and we'll see him explain the purpose of of our salvation. And we'll even see him point to some proof that we have the salvation that the Bible promises to us. So let's read Ephesians 7 verses, or Ephesians 1 verses 7 through 14. There's no Ephesians 7. Um, So in whom... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff in, in there. There's a whole lot baked into that passage, and we're not going to dig through each and every verse and each and every clause because this study through Ephesians would last us at least until next year if we did that. But we're going to finish it by this summer, like Nick said. So each week we're just going to take a large passage like this and, and hit the highlights along the way and make sure we understand some of the core principles uh, with regard to, to finding our purpose. So each week we're just going to learn a little bit, a little something about, about our purpose and what God has us here to do, about what he wants from us and what he expects of us. And so tonight, we're actually looking at why God saves us. So we're going to look at what actually goes on when the Lord saves us and, and what that means for our future and what that means even for our present life. And, and that's important because God gives each of us a free will on whether or not to accept his gift of salvation. Nick talked about that last week. And he gives us all a free will to decide how we're going to live our lives even after we give our lives to him. So understanding the purpose and implications of our salvation well, it can really affect the choices that we make on a daily basis. So, so let's pray, and then we can dig in to this passage. God, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much um, for the salvation that you promise us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we dig into this passage tonight, we just understand that a little bit better than we, than we might have when we walked into this room. And I pray that um, as, as you teach us and guide us in that knowledge, that we just understand a little bit more about what your expectations are of us and and how we can better live our lives in a way that glorifies you and how we can bring you the most glory that we possibly can. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's just dig in and we're going to break this passage up into three different sections and the first one is what I'm calling the purchase and that's what we see in verses 7 through 8. And so, okay, good. Everything's, Everything's working. 
now? Cool. Um, so again, verses seven through eight says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So we're talking about redemption and we're talking about forgiveness. And those two words are very important when you're talking about salvation and that's what Paul is driving at here. We have salvation through Jesus Christ because we have the redemption through his blood, because we have the forgiveness of our sins. Because the forgiveness of our sins by his blood is salvation. That's what we're saved from. And that's important because we're all born sinners, separated from God. Romans chapter 3 makes that absolutely clear. Um, if, you've, if you remember Romans chapter 3, just read verses 10 through 20, and it makes it clear that there, there ain't nobody perfect other than Jesus. Um, I'll start reading in verse 10. It says, And as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may, be, may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So hopefully it's clear we're, we're all sinners and we're all messed up. None of, us are, none of us are good on our own. But pay attention to what he's getting at near the end of that passage when he's talking about the law and saying, because the law exists, the world becomes guilty before God. Because God establishes his expectations for how people live through the Old Testament law and nobody can actually live up to the Old Testament law standards because we're all sinful. And it's because God gave us that law that we can know that we're sinful. And verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And that's important to understand because in the Old Testament People had to make sacrifices and offerings for their sins. That was how they, they dealt with their sins as they came up in their life. The thing is, though, those sacrifices may have, forgave, may have forgiven sins, but they never actually redeemed sinners. And that's something that's very important to understand about Jewish Old Testament laws and sacrifices and stuff like that. If you read, even, even in the Old Testament, Exodus 34 verse 7 says, Keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that, by, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and unto the fourth generation. So the forgiveness of sins and true redemption, well, those are actually two different things because the Old Testament law was God's mercy and it provided a way to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, but it didn't clear the guilty. True redemption is so much more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is only part of redemption. Redemption is something that actually clears the guilty, and the Old Testament sacrifices weren't capable of doing that. You can see that in Hebrews 10, verse 4, which says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So you can do all the sacrifices you need to do to, to forgive your sins in the Old Testament, but but nothing was actually going to redeem you in the Old Testament because those sacrifices were imperfect. 
That blood couldn't actually take away your sins, even though God used those sacrifices as a way for people to get forgiveness. So even though these sacrifices would forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, it couldn't take it away. It could never remove the sin from the sinner, and that's, and that's the real key. The good news is that Jesus Christ was sent to offer a better sacrifice. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that he was sent to be a propitiation for us through his blood. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God hath sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the, remissions, or for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And that word propitiation, that just means he was sent to pay for our sins with his blood. That's the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Instead of imperfect animals being sacrificed for sin, instead of that imperfect blood, Jesus offered his own perfect sinless life and his own perfect sinless blood to be a sacrifice for us. And his sacrifice was a better sacrifice because it doesn't just have the power to forgive sin, it has the power to redeem from sin. Look at what Hebrews 10 says in verses 10 through 12. It says, By the which will we are sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's, that's the, the sacrifices of bulls and goats and all those animals. Verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. This was a better sacrifice. Because instead of having to offer animal sacrifices over and over again, every time we sin, well, Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin forever. 2 Corinthians tells us that Jesus actually became sin for us in, in chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's why Jesus' sacrifice was so much better. God in human flesh, the, the, the literal perfect man who, who couldn't have been a better person, who couldn't have been less sinless. He had no sin in his life. He became sin for us so our sins could be paid for and we could be redeemed from them. That's why his sacrifice is better. That's why his sacrifice pays for our sins. And look at what that sacrifice results in in Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His sacrifice results in eternal life with him, and that's, and that's true redemption because God is holy and you can't exist with God if you have sin in your life. And so if, if you have eternal life with God, that means you don't have sin. You've been redeemed from sin. That's true redemption. All we have to do is accept that sacrifice that Jesus made like Romans 10 tells us in verses 9 and 10 where it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, you want to be saved from your sin completely? Well, Jesus is your only option. He's your only way. His sacrifice is the only one that will even work. He's the only source of redemption and, 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 and full forgiveness. Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14 said, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus offers us redemption and full forgiveness. All we have to do is have faith in that offer and accept it. There's nothing you can do to deserve that offer. It's only available by his grace. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But here's the deal. When you accept that sacrifice, that payment, 
that Jesus made for your sins, you have to realize that Jesus is making a purchase. He's purchasing you. Think about it like we use the word redeem in, in, a, in a normal way that maybe you wouldn't necessarily connect with the Bible word redeem, but it's really the same thing. When you have a gift card for something, you redeem the value of that gift card when you buy something with it. Well, the same is true of Jesus when he redeems us. He buys us with his sacrifice. Uh, we see that in Acts 20, verse 28, where it says, Take heed thereto unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The word church in the Bible doesn't refer to a building. It refers to people. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross doesn't just save you from your sins. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross purchased his church. All the people who come to accept his sacrifice, he purchased that. He redeems us together, and that means we belong to him now. That's why 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Look, when you accept Jesus' offer of salvation, you allow him to purchase you and redeem you from your sin. That means he buys you from it. He pays that price for you. And that means we belong to him. That's the biblical purchase that happens with salvation because he fully redeems us. But that redemption isn't quite complete yet, not in this life, but it gives us something to look forward to. And that's what we'll see in point number two, the promise, which is what we see Paul get into in verses nine through 12, which again say, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And so this is where, this is where things get interesting because the simple fact is that if you've personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, well then, you're now a part of something so much bigger than just yourself. Jesus purchased us together. So you were saved with a collective destiny and purpose with the other believers around you. And if you look through this section of of our passage, just look at the pronouns. He made known unto us the mystery of his will. We have obtained an inheritance that we should be to the praise of his glory. We, together, are promised a purpose and an inheritance when we allow Christ to purchase us by getting saved. Each and every one of us has that choice, but as soon as you make that choice, you become a part of the thing that Jesus purchased and gave a purpose to. We are promised a purpose and an inheritance when we allow him to purchase us. It's a beautiful thing. It's cool because God has always wanted worshipers, and you can see that throughout the Bible. We can see that in John 4, 23, when Jesus says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship, and worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That's why he created us. That's what he's wanted from the very beginning. That's why he made man- mankind. And even back before that, we don't have to dig too deep into this, but that's why God created the angels, the original sons of God. God created Lucifer to lead those sons of God in worship, but their worship leader screwed up and the whole, fracture, or the whole host of heaven fractured. So God started over by creating man in his image and likeness. 
to bring him glory. And so Adam was a new son of God, but man also screwed up when sin entered the picture and the image of likeness of God was lost. But instead of starting over again, well, God made a way to redeem man by sending Jesus to die on the cross and pay for those sins and and restore that image. And, And in accepting that, we can become true worshipers of God like we were designed to be from the beginning. That's why John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So when you get saved, you become a son of God. You become someone capable of worshiping the Lord who's made in the image and likeness of God. How cool is that for real? The reality of that isn't quite fully realized yet because because we're still living in our sinful bodies. But look at what 1 John chapter 3 says in verses 1 through 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. I mean, think about it. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We sinful beings who were born opposed to God, God made a way to reconcile us to himself and redeem us so that we can be sons of God. Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And that is the promise that we have to look forward to. Look, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, we become sons of God, but that's not over yet. In verse 2 it says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, But we know when he appears, well, we'll be like him. That's our inheritance. That's the promise we have to look forward to. The fully realized image and likeness of God in ourselves, that's what he promises to us. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. We'll be like the creator of the universe. That's wild. 1 Peter 1, chapter 4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Nothing can take the inheritance away from you. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Because God promises us that we have that inheritance. This is what we collectively are predestined for as members of his church. Look, we placed our faith and trust in him, and as a result, he promises this inheritance to us. Romans 8, 29, and 30 say, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Look, because you put your faith and trust in the Lord, you are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's really that simple. You're on a course that's going to land you conformed to the image of Christ fully, It's pretty simple. It's going to happen. You can limit God's ability to do that in this life because you're still living in your sinful flesh. But when you meet him face to face after this life is over, he's going to get rid of your sinful flesh and allow you to be fully in his image. And that's a guarantee. That's a promise. Because we put our faith and trust in him, that's what he's giving us. But like I said, that promised inheritance can't fully be realized in this life because we still have our sinful flesh. But that doesn't mean it can't be realized at all. Because God doesn't just leave us with a promise and nothing more. He also offers us point number three, the proof. And that's what we see in verses 13 through 14. I titled this message, The Proof is in the Pudding. Um, And you'll see why in a minute. 
But the proof is in verses 13 and 14, which say, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. And again, there is a ton in this passage that we're just not going to, we're just not going to take the time to unpack. We could spend way too much time here if we, if we didn't have such large passages each week. But the simple fact is that God promises our inheritance to us. So it's guaranteed that we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ and have the full image and likeness of God as his sons when we meet him face to face. But he proves that reality to us now by giving us the Holy Spirit as proof. But that's something you don't have to wait for. That's something he does for you the moment you believe and get saved. He seals you in that moment by giving you his spirit. And so the, the, the easiest picture I can think of to compare this to is, and, and guys, pay attention. Um, when you ask a girl to marry you, what you don't do is say, hey, will you marry me? She, say, she says yes, and then you're immediately married. That's that's not what it's about. You ask her to marry you, and then you set some date in the future when you get married. But normally, what you should do when you ask a girl to marry you is you should offer her something. Um, normally, it's a ring with a rock on it. Um, I don't know why they cost as much as they do, but, <laughs> but that's what it is. You ask her to marry you. As soon as she says yes, will you give her the ring? And you give her the ring signifying, okay, this is a done deal. Like, like this is what we're doing. And so then you, your engagement period, period, all she has is the ring. It's not like you're actually married until your actual wedding day. And so think of it like, like your engagement period with the Lord because he extended the offer to you. You accepted. Well, he gave you something even though there's way more coming in the future. The Holy Spirit is God. It's part of the Trinity, and he gave you the Holy Spirit the moment you accepted his offer of salvation. And the thing that makes the Holy Spirit different from any other spirit is that it's holy, meaning he can't exist with sin. And so, like I said with eternal life, existing with God into eternity must mean you're without sin in eternity because you can't exist with God with sin. But if the Holy Spirit's living inside of you now, well, that kind of proves the reality that you've been redeemed from your sin, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit can't live inside of you if, if that weren't the case. Don't miss that. Because even though we have our sinful flesh, well, there's another part of you inside of you that's called your soul that is the part that will continue to live forever. Well, that part has been redeemed even though your body hasn't yet. So when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it's literal proof that you've been given or you've been redeemed from your sin because the Holy Spirit couldn't live inside of you if that weren't the case. All you had to do to secure that inheritance was trust in Christ. And all you had to do to get the Holy Spirit was trust in Christ. And, and the Holy Spirit was enough to seal you. And so as soon as you accepted his offer of salvation, that's, that's what biblical predestination is. It's not some weird thing that like, you know, God decided millions of years ago that one day you were going to accept his gift of salvation. No, he offers his salvation to everyone. But if you accept it, 
Well, then he sets you on a course that will one day land you to be fully redeemed from your sin, and he gives you his Holy Spirit as a way to prove that um, because, because that process has already started. So, so don't, don't miss that. 2 Corinthians 1, tells us something similar. It says, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So if you're saved, you heard the gospel and decided to believe in it and trust it, you became a son of God and immediately got his Holy Spirit. Uh, Galatians 4, verse 6 says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we spent all that time in point number two talking about the eventual reality of us becoming fully, like, of fully becoming the sons of God with the full image and likeness of the Lord. But the Holy Spirit is just the first part of that inheritance. It's the earnest of our inheritance. It's like a down payment when you buy a house. It just proves you're serious about making the purchase. It's proof that this is a serious promise that will be fulfilled. And God giving you his Holy Spirit proves to you that he's serious about his purchase. It gives us the proof that we need to look forward to our promised inheritance. Romans 8.23 says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So we're waiting for and groaning for the redemption of our body because our soul has been redeemed God proves that when he gives us his Holy Spirit. So now we just wait for him to fully redeem us by finishing our redemption and that ends when he redeems our body. But having his Holy Spirit seals us to that day when we can be fully redeemed. That's his promise. That's our inheritance. That's the thing that can't be taken away, that can't be corrupted. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That is biblical predestination. You weren't predestined to to be saved. That was a free will choice you made when you trusted in Christ. But because you trusted in Christ, you were predestined to be fully redeemed one day with the image and likeness of God, and that is guaranteed for you if you have placed your faith and trust in him. But what does that mean for us now in the meantime, between now and then, between the day of redemption and whatever day this is? Is it Tuesday? Um, What's that mean for us? Well, the answer is simple. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you as proof that you're a son of God, So act like it. Serve him with your life as best you can until you get to that day when you're fully redeemed. Having his spirit is what enables us for ministry even though our redemption isn't complete yet. It's what gives us the power to serve the Lord right now. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So man, use what he's given you to drive you to serve him. Use it to keep you strong until you're fully redeemed when this life is over. After all, he purchased your life with his blood, so use that life to glorify him. And as we wrap up tonight, man, my prayer is that, is that God use this passage tonight to show us maybe a little bit more about salvation than, than maybe we normally think about. Because yes, we always think about being saved from our sin, and that's a wonderful thing. He saved us from our sin, but he also saved us to something as well. He saved us so we could be his sons, so that we could be his church, so we could be his body, He saved us so we could be true worshipers made in his image and likeness, bringing glory to him for all eternity. Our ability to do that won't be fully realized until we get our promised inheritance when we're fully redeemed. But God seals us with his spirit in the meantime as proof of that reality. So we ought to commit to using that proof to drive us to serve him as best we can in the meantime, don't you think? 
That's our purpose right now. That's our purpose in this life. It's to serve him and bring, his, bring him glory as best we can, especially together. And in, in eternity, he'll only make us more capable of doing that. The proof is in the pudding, and the pudding is you. The reality is that we're sons of God, so let's live like it and serve him together. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, man, for just how, how you have a way of helping us understand things um, on a bit of a deeper level than, than, than maybe we normally think about when we just dig into your word. Um, and Lord, there's so much in this passage and there's just so many things we could dive into and I just pray that we'd be encouraged and motivated to, to go home and do that, to go home and keep looking and keep digging into these things. You know, sometimes, Lord, we get so excited about learning some, some new weird truth in the Bible, um, but man, it, it's also exciting to, to get a deeper understanding of something that, that we've experienced. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we understand a little bit more about our salvation tonight, it would just drive us to, to try to live out our purpose as best we can. Um, because we're here to glorify you, and we're here to glorify you together. And so, Lord, I pray that together we would figure out um, exactly what it is you want each of us to be doing to, to best, most effectively be serving you and bringing you glory with our lives. We love you, and we look forward to the day when, when you come back and we meet you face to face and, and, you, and you show us what, what the inheritance we've been waiting for really is all about. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.